0: watch the brief video. Okay. Um, some of us have seen it before, but um, it would be great just as a scene setter for this evening. So if we could watch that, that would be great.
1: It's a miracle we're still here. Denise was a teacher and back in 2008, my work as an engineer took us on assignment to Texas. If you told us then that we were both going to be horribly injured in a road accident and that we'd both lose our left legs above the knee, we would have been absolutely convinced that we could not have coped. We're Chris and Denise Arty and we're excited that our book is finally here, Highway 35.
2: In our book we tried to be open and honest about the accident. Our life-changing injuries and coping with disability We've also reflected on the things that helped us survive and put our lives back together again. Things like the amazing support we received from family, friends, neighbors, and our church, the importance of making good choices every day, and particularly the decision to persevere, the gritty and difficult subject of forgiveness, and of course, the central role our faith played
1: We wrote this book because we know that life doesn't always go to plan. There are bumps in the road, some worse than others, and some a lot worse than ours. But whatever you're facing, it's our prayer that Highway 35 will help you to meet disaster head on with hope.
0: And we do have copies of the book available here tonight. So if you'd like to buy one uh, before you leave tonight, uh, they will be available. Chris and Denise, welcome. It's lovely to have you with us. And um, I just want to kick off with um, a sort of general question. Tell us a little bit about yourselves and what life was like before
1: the accident. Well, I'll uh, I'll start. Uh, I was an engineer and project manager um, in the energy business. As you heard from the video, that's what took us to Houston. Um, Actually, the last time we visited uh, this church, um, as Phil said, was in 2013. Um, And at that time, we were still working overseas in the Middle East. Um, And um, at the end of 2015, uh, we actually retired and came back to the UK I have to say about that other visit um, that um, I think we thanked you then and we need to thank you again now uh, there are people in this church that prayed for us when the accident happened and um, thank you uh, you had a hotline and your prayers your prayers pulled us through and and coming back now um, obviously I've got family connections here in uh, in the Cotswolds but as we walked in we've got uh, Alex and Richard came over and said hello, we know them from Doha, and Claire um, we know from Godalming. So um, so thank you for everyone f- for your prayers, but it, it really does feel like um, this is a home from home. It feels like coming home, so it's good to be here. Anyway, that was a bit of a rabbit trail. Um, what else about our lives? I was um, a keen endurance runner. Um, uh, i I I enjoyed running marathons. And uh, another hobby was uh, was do it yourself. So that was me.
2: Um, as you heard, I was a teacher working in a local infant school. Um, I loved sport. I um, played a lot of tennis. We used to play tennis together. Uh, we also played badminton together. I can beat Chris at badminton. <laughs> it's the only sport. <laughs> the only sport. Um, I love gardening. I also like music, play the piano sing a lot in a choir and um, we have an amazing family. Mm. You saw shots of them when they were a bit younger. Um, We have um, Ben and Tom and then Miriam. So two boys and a girl. And now Ben has given us a little girl who's five with his wife Charlotte and a little boy who is a month old today.
0: Congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. That's wonderful. Um, The video told us a little bit about Mm. what happened, and in your book you do go in a a bit more detail about that. But for those uh, perhaps who don't know, could you just give us a short summary of that story? Yes, well... um, Not too gory for my wife, because she sort of faints (laughs) at anything too.
1: (laughs) Yeah, another hobby of mine was motorcycling. I was on a motorcycle on my 16th birthday, and, um, and I'd always dreamed of road trips in the United States. So when... I was offered this work assignment to Houston, uh, this was my big chance, so we've, we went to the States as empty nesters, our youngsters uh, were busy doing other things, our youngest had just gone off to university, so it was just the two of us, second honeymoon, living the dream, and um, just a few months after we arrived, uh, we were on the road trip, riding a Harley-Davidson Road King, um, 1600cc V-twin, six forward gears, <laughs> note to note to self: Stop talking about the bike, or we'll be here all evening. And um, yeah, and it was just uh, it was just a great trip. We were exploring South Texas towards the Mexico border, and uh, our destination was Corpus Christi. Um, we don't remember anything about the accident, um, but there was a reconstruction uh, a year later in a Texas courtroom, um, and it goes something like this. And you you can you can put yourselves in my or our position. So I was riding at 55, dead straight road, early afternoon, beautiful sunshine, two lanes, traffic coming the other way. Denise was on the pillion. We were doing 55, um, a young driver in a truck, he had his girlfriend on board, he was uh, 55, wasn't fast enough for him. So he overtook, remember, you're on the right-hand side of the road in Texas. He overtook, and now I'm looking at the back of a large truck. He saw a red vehicle coming at him at high speed on the wrong side of the road and thought, is he asleep at the wheel? Is he going to get back in his own lane? No, he's not. So at the last moment, he drove off the road. Now I can see the red SUV, which is doing 80 miles an hour. I'm doing 55. Closing speed of 135 miles an hour. Things are happening at 60 meters a second. Um, so 0.4 seconds after seeing him, he hit us virtually head on. Um, there was a, another truck behind us being driven by um, a man with his, uh, his wife in the truck. They saw the impact, explosion of motorcycle parts, two bodies flying through the air. So he hit the brakes and saw the red vehicle go back on the correct side of the road but then came out and hit the white truck as well, almost killed the driver of the white truck and uh, injured his wife too. Um, so it was uh, just a, a few seconds of complete mayhem. Um, it turned out that the, uh, the driver of the red vehicle um, was over three times the drink drive limit. He was at 250 milligrams per 100 milliliters at 2.30 in the afternoon on a weekday. Um, That's the equivalent of just over half a litre of whiskey or two and a half bottles of wine. Um, Further context, he was at 250. Legal limit's the same as it is over here, which is 80. He was at 250. 350 is the equivalent of a general anaesthetic in hospital. Um, So he was quite drunk. Now, at this point, I left planet Earth to live somewhere else for quite a few days so I'll let Denise take up the story.
2: Well as you can imagine we were very seriously injured. Um, they took us in his and hers helicopters to the nearest trauma hospital which was down at Corpus Christi. Um, we both had severely crushed left legs. Mine, couldn't be ampu- uh, mine had to be amputated straight away because it couldn't be saved. Um, we both had broken left arms and hands. My arm was degloved. Um, Sorry about that, lost skin. Um, We both had concussion. Chris's was much worse than mine. And because Chris was at the front of the bike, he had internal injuries. So he had a ruptured spleen, broken ribs, punctured lung. So we were both in um, intensive care in the hospital. Chris for just over two weeks, and most of that time in a medically induced coma. Um, I was just in intensive care for a few days. Now, the company helped our youngsters to fly out and the UK church helped them as well. So they flew out. Um, At the time, Ben was 25, Tom was 22, Miriam was just 18. And um, 10 days in, the doctors came to Ben and myself and said, you're going to have to sign for Chris's amputation because the the leg was just getting worse. Now, the, the... The kids were actually adamant that, um, because they'd been talking to the doctors a lot, that actually this was the best thing. Um, To me, it was all a bit of a, a shock as you can imagine. So I spoke to the orthopedic surgeon myself and he said, you know, Chris is going to face years and years of operations and he probably won't walk again. And we may have to amputate anyway. So Ben and I signed, and you can imagine that night was not an easy night. I mean, we didn't know if Chris was actually going to um, survive the operation. And if he did survive the operation, would he agree (laughs) with what we'd decided for him? But it actually marked the start of his recovery. Um, We spent many, many months in rehab, both in that hospital... The next hospital, which was a rehabilitation hospital, and then back home as outpatients. And we obviously had homework to do. And I did count that we were doing more than four hours a day of exercises. And we slept a lot, and obviously we had to eat. But the four month mark was really exciting because we got our first prosthetic legs. And then, of course, you have to learn to walk again.
0: Mm-hmm. Can I, can I just take you back a little bit, Chris, to when you recovered consciousness? And, I mean, how...
1: What, what were you thinking? What was happening in your own mind, heart? Well, Denise actually recovered consciousness first so if you if you say what it you was like to for you and, and then I followed on later because obviously I was still in the coma
2: yes well the men of the church arrived on the Sunday <laughs> <laughs> we have Friday was the accident and then the pastor arrived with a few of the men um, so I was able to hold a, a conversation I was very forgetful but um, no I'm I knew that I was almost certain that I had lost my leg but it was the shock actually of looking down and just seeing flat close on the left hand side and my arm was in a huge blaster cast and it was extremely heavy and I couldn't move and I was in a lot of pain and we used to describe it as a nightmare that you wake up to, I mean usually you have a nightmare and you know you're asleep and oh when you wake up oh, you know it was just a dream, bad dream and you're fine but this was like the reality that we woke up, it was a nightmare every time we woke up
1: Yeah my, my experience was a bit different because of the coma, uh, I came out very slowly uh, into a world of extreme pain, um, a lot of confusion because of the the head trauma, and uh, and I was frightened. And I had it in mind that if only I could, if only I could get out of the hospital, if only I could leave, then the pain would stop. I, I don't know where I got that idea from. Um, so therefore, I. Um, one of my earliest memories is trying to get out the hospital by walking away from the bed. Um, I was connected to all sorts of instruments and, um, and obviously, <laughs> as soon as I put weight on the left leg, which wasn't there, uh, I brought all the machinery down on top of me and uh, everybody rushed in and there was this incident investigation. Um, and, and as they took the last dressing off, I saw the end of my stump and uh, thought, well, I wouldn't have got very far on a leg like that. Um, so uh, there was there was a lot of confusion, a lot of confusion going on. Um, I was, um, when I was out of the coma, I couldn't read a clock. Um, I couldn't use a phone. And basically, I was talking rubbish. So I spent weeks after the accident apologizing to people for things that i 'd said while I was coming out of the coma, um, so I was a lot less compassmentist than Denise.
0: One of the things you mention in your book, you go into quite a lot of detail, um, just about holding on to hope in that situation, mm, yeah. and uh, i 'd like you to just to share. A little bit of what that is like obviously it was a dark time as well mm-hmm. um, I mean when you look back and we're seeing you now and smiles and everything but there must have been some really dark times for you mm-hmm. um, could you tell us a little bit about that
2: yeah it was incredibly bleak at the beginning but um, what was amazing was that I suddenly started remembering all these Bible verses some of them I didn't even know I knew so um, you know good old Sunday school mm-hmm. um, but, um, you know, just the fact that Jesus said he'd never leave you, and that was absolutely true. I felt the presence of the Lord right from the beginning. Um, but the verse that I really hung on to was um, Romans eight twenty eight: all things work together for good for those who trust God and are called according to his purposes. I thought, well, that's that's. A great one you know I didn't know I knew that one that's fantastic so I um it took me about six attempts because I was so full of morphine and so shaky that I managed to write this on a piece of paper and the pastor was there and I said look Frankie will you please read this over Chris will you stick it in his ward it was just as if I just knew it had to be declared to Chris as well because he was in the coma So um, yes, that was something I really hung on to and gave me hope. I knew that people were praying, it um, it may sound strange, but it was tangible. Mm. I could sense the the presence of prayer in the room, and I often say to people it was like being on a lilo, you know, like sort of I was floating above a lot of the circumstances, which I couldn't cope with anyway in my own strength. So that was that. the other thing which is very amazing is I, um, we got loads of cards, obviously, from family, from friends, all over the world. But because I was a teacher, I got cards from the children I've been working with. So one day, big brown envelope from the kindergarten where I've been volunteering. Now, these children were just five and six. So the teacher had written things on the board and they'd copied it, you know. Um, Get better soon. We miss you, Mrs. Arthy. One little girl, and it still, makes me, it still makes me shiver. It sort of touched me so deeply. She, when I opened her card, she had written, Do you see a rainbow? And on the back, she'd drawn this beautiful rainbow. And, I mean, that's God's promise, isn't it? That's hope. It's going to be well. All's going to be well.
1: well. Yeah, <coughs> again, a bit different for me. <coughs> Excuse me. I, was, um, I really struggled um, in the early days as I was coming round and um, because everything that I thought I was had been taken away from me. Um, my, I've always thought that I was, uh, okay, a bit adventurous, but always very competent and very careful. Um, well, I'd obviously blown that, uh, so that had been taken away. And for weeks afterwards, we didn't have the details of the accident, so I was worried that maybe the accident was my fault. And that I'd done this to me and to my wife on the pillion. Um, so th- that part of my identity had gone. Um, I mentioned the endurance sports. Well, obviously with one leg, um, it looked like it was game over there as well. And, um, and in terms of work, um, I, I worked with teams of phenomenal engineers and project managers. And... I'd always like to think I was sort of holding my own with these phenomenal people. Um, but as I say, my brain was pretty scrambled. And uh, part of my rehab was doing children's puzzles, trying to get the, the brain to work again. <clears throat> and even the, even the children's puzzles were defeating me. And, uh, and when feeding myself, um, I was dribbling food and getting all messy. So. I really felt as if everything I thought I was had gone. Um, But where I got my hope from was reminding myself that my worth doesn't consist in what I can achieve, but it consists in who I am. And, uh, And I just forced myself to think, well, it doesn't matter all of these things that have been taken away because I'm still a child of God, I'm still known and I'm still loved and, uh, and that is enough um, and hanging on to that hope took an act of will
2: mm. I also had um, feels like cheating in a way but <coughs> as a child I grew up with an amputee grandfather so for me I think it wasn't as devastating the injury as it was for Chris losing my leg um, I'd, I'd lived with my grandfather and, and um, my nan for um quite a while because my mom was ill when i was little and he was amazing i mean he had a dreadful prosthetic i mean it was good in those days but you know it was like bits of tin and leather straps and you know he had a wooden foot um and um it didn't bend when he walked and he had a little lever for when he sat down so it bent but he lived a perfectly normal life he ran a brigade group he you know he was in the men's contact club at church he went to work every day he walked everywhere and to amuse his um, only grandchild which was me um, he would when we went to the beach he would hop down the beach dive into the water and turn upside down and it was a submarine as his leg went (laughs) past so I knew that there was a possibility you know being an amputee wasn't the end of life you know that you could live a perfectly normal good life again so that also gave me hope Mm. Can I ask you
0: a question Um, do you think it made things easier that both of you were injured and had similar injuries just thinking that if one of you had not been injured Mm. and the other had
1: has that made things easier or I think probably no and yes Um, obviously we we were both horribly injured in, in wheelchairs so we couldn't care for each other. So uh, we, needed, we needed an awful lot of help. Um, so that was a, a real disadvantage. We had lots of help from church and friends which, uh, which made it easier. Um, but on the other side of things, um, it didn't matter how bad I felt and how bleak things looked, there was always somebody there who knew exactly how bad it was and could empathise and, uh, and to help pull me through. And I like to think that I was doing the same for Denise.
2: We're also highly competitive. I mean, highly competitive. Um, so that really helped with the therapy. I mean, they used to say to us with our left hands, make a fist, and honestly, that's all we could do. So we would sit at home watching a film and we would have to push those fingers down. And the film would be sort of punctuated by sort of, I've got a finger down, you know. And then it was Chris's turn. And also Chris, as you've probably gathered, is far more adventurous than I am. I mean, how do you get into a bath with one leg? So Chris would, you know, he'd have a go, and then I'd have a tutorial. So from my point of view, yes, it was extremely helpful to have Chris with the same injuries.
1: Yeah, we had a lot of laughs. We did. <laughs> oh, good, good.
0: Um, was there ever a, a time... I want to ask two, two related questions. One about the... Why me? Mm. And maybe feeling sorry for yourselves, or even self-pity, and, and losing yourself in that, maybe. And, but also the question of the other driver. Mm. And because, obviously, you only found out afterwards about the alcohol in his body and whatever, mm. about forgiveness and about that journey yeah. that you describe in the book uh, mm. wonderfully. Um, could you share a little bit about those two aspects? Yeah, I'll take the
1: why me. Yeah. okay. The, um, that, that's something I really struggled with. I mean, I like to think I was a good motorcyclist and all the miles I've traveled, why, why would this happen to me? I'd never crashed a bike before, and certainly why would it happen when I've got Denise on the, the pillion? Um, so that was a really, it was a really difficult question. Um, and I came to the conclusion after wrestling with it that I just didn't know. And um, so I have this list of questions, this list of things that Chris does not understand. And this why me question is pretty much at the top of the list. And, um, and when my time's up and I go to heaven, I'm taking that list with me because I want some answers. Um, but I have a feeling that I'll throw the list away because then it won't matter. You know that scripture in Corinthians that says, um, now we see through a, a glass darkly, um, but then I, will be, then I will know fully as I'm fully known. Um, so I, I don't understand why it happened, um, but I'm hopeful that there will be a time when it does all make sense, and I, I'm sure some of you are facing exactly the same, and sometimes we have to be okay with not understanding everything.
2: Do you want me to do the forgiveness, or do you want to start?
1: Uh, Yeah, I'll start off on that one, um, we mentioned that there was a, a court case, the, 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 uh, the driver eventually pleaded guilty of um, intoxication assault, so the court case was a jury trial to determine his punishment, what his sentence should be. And he got um, four months in the county jail and ten years of probation, which was a surprise. Um, that's a whole other story you'll have to buy the book and read how that happened <laughs> and, uh, anyway after the trial finished um, he asked if he could speak to us and um, and we agreed he came over full of remorse tears in his eyes and asked if we could possibly forgive him and again to our surprise we never felt any bitterness towards him um, so we were able to say yes you know, we forgive you and we hugged and, and um, I'm so pleased that we were able to do that because we had enough on our plates, mm-hmm. trying to get better without carrying this ball and chain of bitterness mm-hmm. into our lives. But it, it was—it wasn't something we had to work out because we know we're Christians and the Lord's Prayer says we need to forgive others. Um, it wasn't like that at all. It was just you know, a gift, and uh, just very thankful.
2: Yeah, I remember very early on in hospital just lying in the bed thinking about, you know, the drunk driver and just thinking, actually, you know, I'd rather lose a leg than actually have to live with that guilt and that shame of knowing that you'd um, made a very poor choice, you'd drunk and you'd caused a life-changing injury to someone else. Um, And then I I have these conversations with the Lord and... um, I can remember so clearly. The Lord said, "Okay, so you, you know, you say you've forgiven him. I want you now to pray blessing on him. To be really free, you need to pray pray blessing." Which is really, Lord, you know. Um, but um, as we did that, it was like the whole weight, the whole situation just changed. I mean, it was incredible. Anyway, we went to visit him in prison. We traveled down to Refurio, wasn't it? And saw him in the county jail. And then just before we left America to go to Doha, um, he asked if he could see us again. And we said, of course. And he had to actually get permission from his probation officer to travel up to our county in Houston. And uh, we had a meal together, him and his wife. And you know, he asked us again about forgiveness. And we said, look, as far as we're concerned, we've forgiven you. You know, you need to forgive yourself. You need to find out about how to get forgiveness for yourself. Um, We exchange emails probably about um, every six months. And in 2019, when his probation finished, his 10-year probation, he wrote a really lovely email. It was the first one, really, that didn't go over how sorry he was and, you know, and was really quite down. It was, he just said, thank you so much for the kindness and the support that you've given me, because it just helped me emotionally over those 10 years. And um, he said, I, I, will, um, I haven't forgiven myself, but I've learned to live with myself. Now we're praying that he will find the yeah. Lord and find forgiveness, yeah. because, you know, um, but he's got a lovely Christian wife. Yeah. Oh, wow. So we're really praying for that.
0: Obviously, the accident changed your lives. Um, has it changed the assignment of your life? Has it... I mean, you talked about that wonderful scripture, Lord turning everything for good, and working everything for good. Over the years since the accident, have you seen that in your lives?
1: Do you want to take the assignment one?
2: Okay, yeah. Um, It was very interesting, actually. Um, We had a particularly bad day when we were back home. And... um, we weren't in a position to pull each other up because we were both down and frustrated. And, and so we phoned the pastor who dropped everything and came round. We learnt later, he was only 30 at the time. It was amazing maturity he showed. And he came round and he just listened to us share. And then he just dropped this pearl of wisdom and he said, you know, through your pain, through your tears, through your frustration, through your struggles... God is building a platform for ministry. You will be able to reach people that others can't. People will listen to you because you've been through it. And really, that was the crystallization, if you like, of the assignment. I mean, we knew that we were still here. We'd survive because there was obviously an assignment on our life. But like you said, things had changed. So really we feel that our assignment now is along the lines of in two Corinthians where it talks about comfort others with the comfort you've received Mm. and really as you carry on with the talks
1: yes yeah we've uh, obviously done a a lot of speaking about what happened to us and and now we've written the book um and the reason we wrote that is is linked to that scripture that Denise described and you saw on the video that uh, life doesn't always go to plan. Um, We didn't want to write a book which was a how-to book, um, which is, um, okay, well, if if bad things happen, you need to do X, Y, and Z. Uh, If you know the story of Job at all, um, Job's friends, when Job was going through a rough time, um, they started off really well. they came and sat with Job, and um, and they were just with him, um, encouraging him. And that's the first call on our lives when things go wrong, is is just to sit with people in the heartbreak and, and to be alongside them. But then Job's friends started to have bright ideas on what he should do to get himself out of his mess, and... Um, and <laughs> that's, that's when the wheels fell off it didn't go so well um, so we didn't want to write a book that says you should do this, this and this uh, we wanted to explain what happened to us and what it was like and reflect on what we think it's taught us and uh, what our journey with the Lord was like through that in the hope that others might read this and rather than feel as if they'd been lectured they would say, well, that's, that's helpful, and, that's help, and take things out of it that are useful to them um, and meet their trials, their disasters, whatever it is, uh, with the hope that we've been able to meet ours with. So that's why we, uh, that's why we wrote the book.
0: I want you to just um, think of something about each other what you're really proud of each other for since the accident? Is there, has there been sort of a little landmark? Where think, oh, well done, Chris, or well done, Denise. I'm so proud of you. How long have you got? <laughs> well, I noticed in the video that I think that was a marathon, wasn't it? Yes,
2: it was. Yeah, I'll start. Okay, you go. <laughs> I did actually tell the orthopedic surgeon before the amputation that if you give Chris a prosthetic blade, he will run again, and I'm sure he'll run a marathon again. Well, you've run two. <laughs> wow!
0: Um,
2: I'm married to a person with lots of legs, by the way. I mean, he has um, a cycling leg as well, <laughs> okay. so he does triathlons. Wow! Um, so he swims without a leg, and then he has a cycling leg, and obviously he cycles, and then he runs with the blade. So, was it a few weekends ago you took part in the
1: British British Para, para- Triathlon triathl- Championships
2: yes. yeah. wow. and got gold? Wow. <laughs>
1: You, you do need to complete that sentence. Do you need
2: to complete that, yes. <laughs> there was only one person in the race. But as, <laughs> as Chris says, you have to show up, you know, to...
1: You've got to be in it to win it. That's
2: right. <laughs> um, the other thing Chris has done is um, sort of trekking and climbing. You've been up Kilimanjaro mm. with your running leg, and then you had a trekking leg, and you went to Everest Base Camp. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I'm so proud of Chris, because the beginning of learning to run... He fell over a lot. The leg wasn't right. We, you know, it just took so long, but he just persevered and kept going. And now, I mean, he tells me that it's almost like he's running. You know, he doesn't, he's not thinking about being an amputee. He's just enjoying you know, beating some people. And, uh, and you do a lot of races, don't you, with normal, able-bodied mm. runners. So I'm really proud of that.
1: Great. Yeah. We, um, we sat down in our wheelchairs, must've been about four months after the accident, and, uh, and had this big discussion about, well, what, what will become of us? What, what does the future hold? Um, what, what do we want? What can we do? And the conclusion we came to is we basically wanted to get back to what we were doing because we were having such a great time. Um, I wanted to get back into work and obviously the endurance sports, Denise wanted to get back into the classroom, and wanted to play the piano again, despite the smashed arm and hand, and um, and wanted to sing in a choir again. Um, and I'm really proud of Denise because all of those things became true for you as well. And uh, and that. Again, it, you don't just add water and these things happen. They, they take an awful lot of effort. Mm. Um, so obviously the, there's pride in each other, um, but there's also such thankfulness. I mean, the, the endurance sports, it's as if God said to me, Chris, I know running was important to you um, because I love you. I'm going to give you the running back again. And he did. And it was the same with you in the classroom and your music. And the Lord has given us these things back because he loves us. Mm-hmm. And um, life is good.
0: Great. That's wonderful to hear. In a moment, we're just going to have a time where you can ask a question. So if you've got a question you'd like to ask, uh, think of that. And I'll bring the microphone around in a, in a minute's time or so. Um, I know you, you, you've deliberately chosen different kinds of legs, um, is there any reason Sorry? for that in terms of just the look of things? Oh, no. Only <coughs> the look. It is the, the same
2: le- leg. It's the, oh, is it it's exactly, exactly the same? exactly
1: the same leg. Well, actually, they're colour-coded so that I don't put the wrong <laughs> leg on in the morning. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I struggled a bit more with the look of a prosthetic leg. I don't know if some of you ladies might um, sympathise, but I didn't like the Terminator look, you know, the (laughs) robot look. So um, I asked if they could cover my leg. So it is the same leg. It is the same. And they said they'd only cover it up to there. So that's a bit limiting, but it it means that, you know... In fact, it's been funny. When we've been out... I mean, I remember going to NASA and the space station there, you know, and they were saying, will your husband manage to get on the train? (laughs) Because, you know, they just saw my leg as normal leg. It was pink. They didn't realise.
0: Yeah. There you go. Um, Just, if someone's going through a a tough time, um, you know, you you talk in the video about bumps in the road, and and there are for all of us, I guess, at some point in our lives. Is there anything you'd just like to share with folks?
1: Yeah, the... um, Well, as I mentioned earlier, the first thing is to just be with them. Um, Another piece of advice would be to find somebody who has been on the same journey that you're facing. Uh, when we were in hospital, we were introduced to a couple of amputees who were a lot further along than we were. And, uh, and they were just so encouraging. Uh, and one of them told us about his life. He was about 60. He said, oh, yeah, I get up in the morning and uh, I let the dog out. And um, you know, I, I use crutches until I've made myself a cup of coffee. Then I put the leg on. I drive to work, do a normal job, come home keep the leg on all day he said you you he said I've watched you and you're you're uh, you're very um very determined you're young <laughs> <laughs> and um you'll you, you'll do well and just to hear somebody saying you're going to be okay um this will you will get through this is just so encouraging so a piece of advice would be yeah fi- find somebody and talk to somebody who can uh, who can lift you through today's valley
2: yeah we also had some um great parenting advice which is very applicable here in a book that we read and it was don't count the score at half time and i think you know when you're doing all this therapy it's so easy to think oh you know this is hopeless now checking their phones to see what the score is (laughs) oh yes sorry yes (laughs) um you know you i'm just not making any progress you know And sometimes, you know, you you can lean on others. I mean, I remember sort of just leaning on having faith in the faith of the therapist, if you know what I mean, because she would say, you will get it back. If you keep doing this, you will get it back. Mm. And we did. And we learned very early on, you know, um, look at how far you've come. Don't worry about how far there is to go. Just take steps every day. Make good choices.
0: Great. That's wonderful. Thank you for sharing your story with us. We've just got time for some questions. If anyone's got a question, uh, basically you need to put your hand up so I can see you and uh, we'll share that question. Oh, we got one there. Thanks for sharing, Chris and Denise. Question for you. Have you been back to the crash site?
1: Yes. um, The first of the court proceedings that we had to go to, were they, they were in the county where the accident happened. Um, so we had to go down that way. And um, a couple in the church agreed to, to take us down. And, uh, and we tried to recreate the route that we must have followed just out of curiosity. And um, I'd, although I'd, I'd lost two or three days before the accident, I had an idea of the route we must have taken. And uh, that was an interesting journey, because we thought, well, this is, we must have come down here, must have come. And then both of us together, uh, we both said, that's where we stopped for coffee. And, uh, and it was like an instant, yeah, that's where we, and then there were other places. And then from the police report, we were able to f- locate where the accident had happened, probably to within about 50 meters. And um, so we stopped the car, When there was this dead straight, quiet road, wind blowing in from the Gulf, salty air, completely unremarkable. Just just an ordinary bit of road. And uh, in a way it was uh, a bit of, oh, is that all? But in another way it was, um, it it told us a lot because you just don't know when or where your life might change. (laughs) It's just completely unremarkable. Um, So yes, we have been back to the crash site and it meant nothing.
0: (laughs) Any other questions? Yeah. You both look really fit. How do you keep your fitness levels up? For walking, do you walk every day a certain distance? Or because, you know, I suppose it's not easy walking with a prosthesis.
1: Well, we... um before the accident, we were both slim and fit, which probably helped us. And, uh, and we still are. And Denise, you have an exercise routine in the morning, don't you?
2: Yeah, they told us to keep going with um, a lot of the exercises, the physios, because it just you know, it keeps your core muscles mm-hmm. going.
1: Also, we have to watch our weight, because mm-hmm. if, you, if you put on or lose more than three to five pounds, the leg doesn't fit. So you have to keep your weight within that window um, so there's an incentive.
2: Also, you know, being in a classroom, that's <laughs> that keeps you pretty fit.
1: <laughs> and uh, I've, I've carried on with the, uh, with the training and racing. And at the moment, I'm training for a half Ironman back in Texas in October. So that's a 1.2-mile swim, 56 miles on the bike, and a 13-mile run. So uh, I'm, tra- I'm training quite hard at the moment I just love it that's great (laughs) yeah so we keep fit anything oh oh now we're going now we're
0: going
2: I'm asking this because I kind of know the answer already but to expand on it can you tell us a bit more about what you're doing over in this country in terms of jails and going into jails or open jails isn't it
1: yeah you you can talk about the prison
2: Yes, we happen to know um, the chaplain um, of one of the prisons and he invited us to do a talk, which we did. But then he invited us to join what's called the Sycamore Tree Course, Mm. which is a restorative justice course. And so we go in uh, on week three. It's a six-week course and it's accredited. And uh, we go in and we speak about being victims and we speak about the effect that it's had on our lives and the ripples that out to the community. And um, it's actually based... It's not, a, it's not a sort of Christian course as such, but it's based on the story of Zacchaeus, or Zac, as the book says. Um, and, um, and then it's really to, to get... Um, in this case, the ladies, to um, sort of confront, you know, what's happened and to think about the victim of their crime. And uh, in week six, they do something in response, if you like, to make positive ripples. And we come back, and we're on the stage, and we listen. But there's also people from the community, and, you know, they've written letters, and they have the opportunity to write letters to their victim, and, and some of them actually go a stage further and ask if they can meet their victim and um, we've just seen so many you know from week three to week six just the impact of having real live victims and ours is quite an obvious thing isn't mm. it <laughs> to stand up there um, and, um, yeah,
1: and the, the last course we were on there were some of the prisoners did not want to be there it's a, it's a compulsory course and uh, apparently the first two weeks had been really difficult because they were they were being awkward about it. And uh, week three, we turned up to explain about being victims. And we stood there and said, we're Chris and Denise. Uh, we're victims of a crime. We're victims of intoxication assault. And as a result, we're permanently disabled. Mic drop. <laughs> and, um, and the people running the course said that was when the course changed and those awkward prisoners suddenly became engaged. And it, it's one of the most valuable things that we do. Yeah. Wonderful.
0: There was another hand
1: somewhere. Oh, OK. Um,
2: what happened to the other driver, the, the witness of the crash?
1: Right. Um, he found his faith again through the accident which was brilliant. Uh, he, had been, uh, he had been following the law when he was in his teens and uh, anyway this accident happened and uh, he had multiple pelvis fractures and he said, you know, I realized in hospital that I ought to have this conversation with my maker <laughs> um, and then he was released from hospital and he went home and um, while he was at home uh, he had a, a blood clot broke loose, um, a pulmonary thrombosis and his heart stopped, so they, his heart stopped twice actually and they managed to save him again <laughs> and he said, after that I didn't need any more persuading. Um, so he went straight back to church as soon as he could and um, yeah, we're, we're looking forward to seeing him again when we go over in October and uh, yeah, he's, he's going on with the Lord. It's it's brilliant.
0: Hi, it's two questions actually. Um, how are your children after all this? And secondly, has it impacted your walk with the Lord, where you are now, to where you were before the accident?
2: Okay, good questions. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, we were very proud of the kids. I mean, it's not the sort of thing you want to put your kids through, and they were, you know, they weren't that old to cope with that. Um, I think the thing we were most proud about was they all came out together they stayed together they helped each other and they supported each other
1: yeah that's a lot to put them through because on the flight out it was a 10-hour flight and they didn't know how many parents they'd have when they arrived mm. and uh, pff, that's
2: heavy so um yeah we've got two who are going on with the lord and we've got one who's shall we say still building his testimony but um <laughs> but you know the thing that I think was so incredible was they never treated us as disabled. We were just mum and dad yeah. the whole time. I mean, it, it also, I mean, you, you, you know that all, all kids are just so different, aren't they? And I mean, the middle one, Tom, I mean, he's our sort of joker. So I remember, you know, when I was going to go up to the rehab ward, you know, they give you this whole list, you need these clothes and this clothes, because, you know, we can't wash them and, uh, you know. And, of course, I got nothing with me, because we were just on a, you know, a day trip. Clothes
1: were destroyed.
2: (laughs) And um, so I said, you know, I'll need this, this and this and this, and, uh, you know, I'll need at least four pairs of socks. And he just looked at me and said, you won't, Mum. And the other two just (laughs) froze. The other two were sort of... (gasps) (laughs) <laughs> you know, um, but you know he's right so of course we had a good laugh and that was it but so that was Tom I mean he'd always just you know go straight for it but uh, no that you know obviously they were um incredibly sad you know they've all said to Chris go for it when he wanted another motorbike because Chris has another motorbike which I'll let him tell you about um so they've been very gracious but um no they're incredible youngsters
1: yeah, briefly on the motorbike. I, Denise was very gracious to let me buy this machine. Um, I did ask permission and Denise said, well, you can buy it, but don't ask me to go anywhere near it because last time I rode pillion with you, it didn't work out too well. So, uh, so I've got a, a Can-Am Spider, which has got two front wheels and, a, and a, it's a motorcycle with two front wheels. And it's got a thousand CC V twin engine. <laughs> 106 brake horse, to 60 in a 4.5 seconds. Anyway, yeah. so, but moving on from the, the motorcycle to your question about our faith, um, I would say, like we did in the, the video clip, if you'd, if you'd said before we left England that this was going to happen to us, we would have hung on to Gatwick Terminal building <laughs> with white knuckles, and we would... We would be absolutely convinced that we couldn't have coped. Um, But now, sort of 14 years on, I think we understand a bit more the height and the depth and the breadth of the Lord's love for us. And we wouldn't have known that we could cope in the way we have. Um, And until until you're asked to face something... You just don't know how you would cope. And we're just very thankful. I mean, we loved, we've both known and loved the Lord since we were little. Um, our relationship has probably deepened and matured as a result. But we didn't know.
2: I think the other thing is that we met the suffering Jesus. You know, I mean, I can just remember talking to the Lord about, you know, I'm, I'm so sorry. You know, I, I had this wonderful body and look at it now and I'm so sorry <laughs> if you know me that's what I say a lot I'm so sorry um and you know it was almost like Jesus was weeping with me you know it was just love and compassion and I remember Chris coming up to um where I was doing the my therapy in a wheelchair tears streaming down his face and I thought well he's in a lot of pain you know I just said whatever's the matter. And he just looked down at his body and he said, you know, this is what Jesus wanted. You know, he, his body was broken for us. And somehow we, we touched on, you know, Jesus wasn't just with us in the suffering. He'd suffered. And it, there, was just, um, there was just that compassion, that bond that you had. So I think it was a real deepening of relationship in that way.
0: Wonderful. Any other questions? Mark, did you? Uh, I was going to ask about motorbikes, but you Oh, no. We, <laughs> if you want to talk about motorbikes, there'll be a separate meeting <laughs> after that. Okay. We'd love to pray for you. Thank you. And um, we're going to do that sort of corporately together. Um, be lovely to just wait on the Lord for a minute. And if you have a word for Chris and Denise just either a word of encouragement or a scripture or a word of knowledge even, uh, please feel free to share that, or a, or a prophetic word. We just want to uh, wait on the Lord and just pray for them. So that would be good. Who will do that. If you sense that in your spirit, just, just feel free to, to speak it out. Let's pray for you. We thank you, Lord, for this evening. We thank you for Chris and Denise and for their family. And we pray your blessing upon them. And as we just wait now, Lord, we we want to lift them to you in prayer. And we want to just surround them as the body of Christ, their family uh, in Christ with love, uh, but also with our prayers. And we just want to hear maybe, Lord, an encouragement from you to share with them. So we just wait on you just now as we pray for them.